let's get started before we digress anymore. Um, Kirk, man, resources. Mm, resources. Are you going to share that? I am going to share. I'm going to share this, and I'm going to share this. We have so, an announcement. We want to announce an event. Yeah, a couple of weeks, October 17th, which is next week, right? Is that next week or the week after? Next week. Next Tuesday? Next Tuesday um, is the blend here at BCM, um, and so uh, little BCM coffee house. So um, you should have one of these on your seat. Feel free to grab one of those. Um, seven to nine, that'll be happening. It's a cool thing. It's a cool thing. Absolutely. So make plans to come and hang out. Um, the resource that I'm going to share tonight is we've we've recommended a lot out of the Nine Mark series recently. Yeah. Um, anything by Nine Marks is going to be legit. Um, I'm reading this right now uh, because we're in the process of membership, going through membership at our church. And um, this is uh, by a guy named Tabidi Onawele. Uh, and the book is entitled, What is a Healthy Church Member? Um, Andrew and I were talking a little bit about this this morning. Um, it's uh, 10 chapters long um, and would make a great, like, 10, um, you know, like like five or 10-week study, like on a Sunday night through what a healthy church member is. And so um, really, really More great. Like Bible study to Dude, totally. People. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be great to just pick up and, and read. Um, Ten marks uh, about being a healthy church member. So I'll recommend that tonight. Great Very book. Good. Very good. I want to recommend a book that um, has been uh, influential to me. And um, I thought about it when I was we were talking a little bit about this um, passage that we're going to look through tonight. But <clears throat> it's a book called... Um, let the nations be glad uh, by John Piper on missions and the mission of the church and um, engaging in missions around the world. Uh, a lot of us probably have served on a mission trip or through a local um, college ministry like the BCM. Maybe you've gone on summer missions or uh, you've served through your church or some ministry or whatever. But um, Piper really gets at the heart of why we go and why we should um, what we should desire and how we desire to, to go about it with um, reaching the, the, the nations with the gospel. So um, I want to recommend that book. Great book. Very, very helpful. Yeah. So, two great resources by two great authors, and we would, we would uh, recommend anything they've written as well. So Indeed. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's go to Acts chapter 17. Um, tonight, we're going to look at verses 16 through 34. This is kind of the next section in our study through the book of Acts. Um, we take the sections we do each week for a reason. Um, you know, you may think, well, why don't, you know, why don't you just do a chapter at a time? Or why don't we, you know, why do we break where we do? And um and the reason is, is because we, we talk about this a good bit, that the Bible is a book of structure, that every passage and the narratives and the, the, the different chapters all have a, have a flow and, and, and really are, are, are broken into sections as you read the Bible. Some of them are helpful with the, the chapter and verse breaks and kind of the headings mm-hmm. in our Bible, um, but, but the chapter and verses were not inspired. They came around much later. Um, 
so some of them are helpful and some of them probably could be moved around a little bit to, to maybe be a little bit more easy to, to work through. But as we walk through the book of Acts, what we're trying to do is, is find the natural breaks in the text that help us see that the sections that Luke has taken us through. And we're just kind of peeling off those week by week and, and trying to, to, to take a chunk at a time. Um, bigger sections, I guess, because it's a longer book and it's a narrative book, probably longer sections than we would look if we were studying a book like Ephesians or Philippians or something like that. But um, anyway, a, a quick word about why we're while we're kind of studying verses 16 through 34 tonight, which Total. may seem um, a little odd. But let's talk for a second about where we've been, what we've seen in the book of Acts uh, thus far. Any thoughts you got? Yeah, it's been awesome, right? Um, Very good. There you go. Um, no, so we're in the midst of a missionary journey, right, at this point. And so um, we're so there's a lot of connection through other parts of the New Testament that we're seeing um, in – you know, in kind of the past couple of chapters that we've that we've worked through. So um, we saw in um, in Acts chapter sixteen, um, kind of the we see the conversion of a handful of people, um, and they would come to make up the Philippian church, right? Um, and so the book of Philippians that Paul writes to the church at Philippi, we see it planted. We see it birthed in Acts chapter 16. And so um, there's a lot of connecting points uh, in in kind of this portion of Acts where we are and what we're going to see later on. And so um, that's something that we we saw a few weeks ago. Um, In 17, we see Paul and uh, Silas in Thessalonica. Uh, so they're kind of continuing journeying throughout the region, and the gospel is continuing to be preached. We're seeing uh, various uh, audiences represented, right? Uh, think about what we saw last week and what we're going to see this week, two um, fairly different cultures, two different groups of people. Um, and we see that that informs the way that Paul goes about engaging them with the news of Jesus. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the gospel is continuing to reach new places you know we're going to see even tonight the people when they hear this message they question some um reason some uh make a ruckus about it but the apostles continue to move forward with with boldness and and with wisdom um and these various responses yeah some people receive and believe by faith some um some want to fight, right? And then mm-hmm. some, I don't know, probably just start in that processing category. Um, uh, maybe maybe don't seem to do much with the message, but there are all these responses as we read through, um, as we're, we're studying through the book of Acts. Uh, the last time we met, we met the Bereans, which are these really incredible people that we want to model ourselves after we said we should be like the Bereans. And yeah. we, they heard, and then they, they went back to the scriptures to see if what they had heard was so, I mean, just a great um, picture of what it looks like to be a, a student of the word and... and uh, Powerful group of guys. So, yeah. yeah, So let's continue reading in um, chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. I made one of the comments that Kurt kind of pointed us to, but I think it's a a great point worth noting, is that when you read the rest of your New Testament, you will see things, uh, you will will read about, uh, or you'll see... Paul's epistles to the Ephesians and the uh, the Colossians and the Philippians and and as Kirk said, like all of these or, or most of these places that Paul later writes to, where there's a church established, it, as we're studying those books, it does us well to go back to Acts 
and see how that church began or a little bit about what was going on in that place um, at the at the time that you know that that we're reading. Think about uh, Paul says um, he he says he talks about what's going to happen in Ephesians. At the church at Ephesus, that when we read Ephesians, we see that the problem is as has has absolutely happened. So, man, it helps us really, really with our context as we think about how the New Testament all fits together. So. Yeah, and you read books like if you're at all familiar with the book of uh, Philippians, right? You know that Paul has this very like dear place in his heart for those people, and to see. Um, to see the Lord begin converting, yeah. uh, you know, the people who would make up this church in chapter 16, I mean, it just, it helps us to understand the heart of Paul, um, both in Acts 16, as well in his letter to the Philippians, mm-hmm. yeah, right? Sure. They, sure. they really inform one another. Yeah. So, yeah. That's good. Tonight, we're going to see two major sections in the text that we're going to read. Um, in verses 16 through 31, um, it's, it's kind of the major section where Paul is going to realize some things and do some things mm-hmm. um, by way of, of, of evangelism. And then the last uh, couple of verses in verses 32 through 34, we're going to read about, again, the kind of the various responses to what he does. So that'll help us as we read, kind of be looking for um, Paul's attitude in the beginning and then his actions and then these responses to that. At the end. Yeah, I think it's interesting, even as we go into verses 16 through 31, to understand and to see, to observe as we read through how Paul explains the culture, right? He, um, we, we were talking a little bit earlier about kind of how we might identify or define what we see in these particular sections. And I thought a great way to understand um, verses 16 through 31 was Paul's um, expositing of the Athenian idolatry, right? Like he exposits, he explains the idolatry that exists within the culture. He makes sense of it, which informs a lot of things that we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. But um, make note of that as we kind of go through, like how we see Paul explaining, um, unfolding, unpacking the idolatry that exists within this culture. So, very good. Yeah. All right. Let's read. Cool, man. You want me to read? Sure. Hey, let me read. Um, Beginning in verse 16 of Acts chapter 17. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day uh, with those uh, who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to, um, to the Areopagus <clears throat> saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive... That in every way you are very religious. 
For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art of imagination of men. The times of, in, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed among whom uh, also were Dionysus and Aeropagati, uh, and a woman named uh, Damaris and others with them. Amen. Amen. Hey, let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for your word and for your grace and our time together tonight. We just pray that you would open <clears throat> our eyes and our hearts um, to the truth that you have spoken to us and that we might seek um, in turn to apply it appropriately in our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a, a greatly encouraging passage. And uh, as we've already said, we really want to get in and dissect a little bit tonight of the method that Paul uses to explain the gospel and the God of the gospel. Um, but before he does, we, we really want to uh, look at what gets him to the point of opening his mouth to share. And, and verse 16 really does that. It shows us um, kind of the heart for gospel engagement before we look at this great model for gospel engagement um, that we're going to see. Um, verse 16 says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens. So we're like, well, who's he waiting on? If you'll remember um, we, we uh, where we left off last week, a week before last, um, that Silas and Timothy are, are headed for him in verse 15. Mm -hmm. So we pick up the scene in Athens where they're headed and Paul is there waiting for them. And as he as he's waiting, it says that his spirit was provoked um, within him. Um, there's probably a different a couple different English translations that that that, that get at this these, this word a little bit differently. But Paul is he's stirred up, he's bothered maybe a bit by what he sees. He says the ESV says the spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. 
So we want to, before we get to this model for gospel engagement, before we see Paul, man, do evangelism really well, we want to look at the reason why he does it and why he opens his mouth to proclaim the good news. And uh, we see that in verse 16, man, that Paul sees and Paul uh, is stirred up. He feels um, some things um, in verse 16 that is ultimately going to drive him to, to action. Yeah. So the question then is, what is that? Yeah. What does he see? We and know that he sees right a a city that is full of idolatry. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. That, um, that's definitely it. You know, it's just that there's a city full of idols. But we got to go a step further and go. Yeah. Well, why is that a big deal? Yeah. You know, like how do do we do when we look at the city? What are we looking for? And what do we see? Um, are we just seeing what's there, or as Paul is looking with, it seems spiritualized. Uh, he sees the great depravity of the area. Yeah. So, you know, we've already mentioned Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. Piper said that missions exist because worship of God Mm -hmm. does not. And so Paul is able to, through the idolatry that is, uh, let's say, most evident, like within this community, there are certain cultures that if you were to travel to, um, the idolatry that is present in a particular region would be most obvious, right? We're talking there are literally altars that are constructed in this city. There are temples that have been built that you might go and like offer praise and worship and sacrifice to, um, to other gods, right? And so it's super explicit in this culture that... That these false idols, that these false gods are being uh, are being worshipped by the people, and as a result of uh, these, this, the people's lostness, right? Their failure to um, to submit to and to confess belief in Christ. Paul's spirit is stirred, right? There's an uneasiness that results. And so we can say then that um, among God's people, an uneasiness results when God is not worshipped, right? Or it ought to. Yeah, yeah. It, it should cause us to be deeply distressed um, to um, when, we're, when, we're, when we're made aware of of the, the the lostness of an area, the idolatry there. We've talked a little bit about let the nations be glad, and kind of the heart of that book is is Psalm sixty seven, um, Psalm sixty five, sixty six, sixty seven. All get it this this issue of we should want to reach people because God is due their worship. Yeah, which is a, a bit maybe of a of a different thought for you perhaps, but Psalm 67, one through five says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, that your saving power among all nations, let the peoples praise you. Oh God, let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you. Judge the peoples with equity um, and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. Uh, increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Mm. So to have that attitude, to have the, I was, I was reading uh, chapter 60, Psalm 65, praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. I mean, if you have that attitude, then you have to have the eyes that Paul has in verse 16 to look at the culture, um, to look at the city and see the brokenness around. Yeah. Um, and we're going to see in a second that, 
that the idolatry was plain to see from the statues, from just the way the city was put together. You think about, well, okay, we may not have that sort of deal around us, but if you'll think and you'll be a a student of your culture and dissect the culture, then you'll find the same idolatry even here on campus at West Georgia, right? Um, Certainly here on campus at West Georgia. Like, it might be easier here, like, on campus, right, on this loop and everything that's contained within it, than it would even, like, two miles down the road. Like, it's most prevalent here. Like, um, higher education and academia is uh, is an idol, right, that is offered much sacrifice here in this setting. Right, yeah. If you think about the the intellectual culture here, you think about the party culture here, you think about – you know, in a, in a lot of ways, the American Academy is to is to what? It's to make yourself great for it you know, is, for the future. <laughs> if it's ever this. like this context and what we yeah. see, like consider, let me flash forward just a little bit. But in verse twenty one, it says that the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. I mean, that is an academic setting. Like the Athenians were infamous for this. Like they were known for this gathering in courtyards and conversations around ideas and thoughts man i don't know who you're hanging out with but like i hung out with a lot of people like in my undergraduate program here at west georgia to where this is what was happening like it was it was conversating around ideas and hearing new things and exploring right um and so yeah our setting here is very similar to our setting here absolutely absolutely so we have to have eyes to see we also have to let what we see move us yes and and cause us to to be provoked um, to be distressed yeah. to the point that that we move, that so, we share. Yeah, and I think what what we oftentimes struggle with is observing both sides of this coin. That is, there's a there's a, a you know a a brokenness that we feel in light of our observing the lostness of the culture around us. Right, this love for people. Um, the the uh, you know the like the imago day image bearers of God loving them and desiring them to um, to know the joy and the hope and the satisfaction that is found in Christ. There's that, and then the other side of this coin is desiring that they would worship God. Right? It's both their salvation and then the worship that is due God. I think both of the, we oftentimes I think gravitate more towards desiring salvation for the lost and we divorce that somehow some way from the worship that is due god right it becomes more man-centered than glorifying god yeah so let me say that a different way maybe to, to even bring some clarity um a lot of times we want people to become christians so that they'll miss hell yeah um, because that would be a, a dreadful eternity for that person. And we leave off that God is due the worship of that person. And yeah. that person, by living a life apart from him, is robbing God of, of the, the glory, glory due him. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and what Kirk's getting at is it's got to be both. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, it's got to be both. And here's the reason it's got to be. is because if it's not, then that... That motivation won't last. No, it, you can't sustain you, it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You'll you'll uh, you'll get so so frustrated with people and their sinfulness that you'll give up hope on them, yeah. or you just won't reach the people that you don't like, or what? It just won't it work. becomes. Let me reach those that I care about. Exactly. Like, I mean, I read exactly. a post earlier tonight on Facebook, man, that it was just like. 
Oh my gosh. And it was basically like no desire like to reach this particular group of people, to engage them with the gospel, to see them know Christ and to experience salvation. Because like I don't like them, I don't really care about them, and so like let me reach those that I really do love and care for and the rest of you guys, man. Good luck, kids, right? That type of thing. It's a problem. Yeah. So is Facebook. It's a problem too. Facebook. Anyway. What a crazy can't get into it. Kill Facebook. So, um, so, so, so we see this motivation. We see that, we see that Paul uh, sees that he feels and that he is he's he's driven. Um, verse seventeen. So he read. Now let's let's take another stop. We've, we're dissecting Paul here, but let's look at now where he goes. Um, that's the next thing the text tells us in verse seventeen. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. And in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. Mm. Some of them, uh, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others, uh, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now, we got three different locations, and as I was just reading it, I realized we got three different ways of communication, too. Mm -hmm. That Paul, uh, uh, he reasoned in the synagogue, Mm -hmm. he conversed with the philosophers, and somewhere in there he preached Christ. So Mm -hmm. we've got conversation, we've got reasoning, uh, reasoning, and we've also got straight-up preaching, which is interesting. We don't have a whole lot of time to go into that, but it's worth noting for sure. And you can say this, in light of all the time that we spent in verse 16 and what Paul has observed and how that, like— how that stirs the spirit, right? That it leads to a response, right? That, that we, in fact, we see three different responses, yeah, right? Yeah. That all fit into the same, like, yeah, into absolutely. the same thread. And, and you know, one thing we've seen um, throughout the weeks as we've walked through the Book of Acts that there is there's needed wisdom for um, what type of uh, communication to use as you're trying to get the gospel to people, and we see that. Um, we see that once again with with the fact that, that Paul uses all three different kinds. Yeah. And he does it in three different places. Did you notice the, the, the different places? Um, we've got the synagogue. We've got the marketplace. Um, there's two different types of people at the, at the marketplace. And and, and one this, leads this to yeah this, this, uh, this hillside that he goes um, to. Uh, so, so we see... Three different types of people, too, right? Uh, in the synagogue, we've got the religious people. In the marketplace, he's meeting common folks, and he's also meeting the intellectual elite, um, which shows us that there's a need for gospel proclamation in all three of those places, yeah. right? Um, the, the synagogue, right? Even the religious institutions of our day need evangelizing, sadly enough, do they not? Yeah. Um, um, but then also just, man, where the, where he, where, where the course of his day took him in the marketplace and he engaged all the different types of people who were there, right? Yeah. We were saying this morning, man, this place had, you know, the moms at the grocery store and also, uh, the professors like sitting down having coffee, talking about, you know, thought and, and the ways of the world. Um, and he gets at them all. Yeah. He gets at them all. Um, with the intellectuals, um, there would have been thinkers, there would have been skeptics, there would have been um, really, really smart people, really a lot of people who thought they were smart um, because of maybe who they're hanging out with. But we don't want to just 
address the, the three different contexts, but we also want to re- realize and think about in our context that it the, the, the different contexts that we engage on a daily, maybe a weekly basis, are going to take maybe one of those different types of proclamation. Maybe there's conversation in one. Maybe there's reasoning in the other. Um, and maybe maybe part of you reaching somebody is bringing them to church to hear the proclamation of the gospel through the preaching of a sermon or something like that. But they're 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 all there, and, and Paul engages in each of the contexts. Um, I think I think wisely. Yeah. Yeah. So that leads us then to really the the what most of uh, uh, Luke gives most of the attention towards is this address that Paul gives um, on this hillside. This is and, and uh, some versions refer to this as Mars Hill, um, uh, the Areopagus. This this basically this just hillside they pull him off at um, to 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 engage with him a little bit more um, directly. Um, so let's pick up in verse 22. Let's read this little section again, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll look at all that's there. Uh, so this is Paul standing uh, in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that uh, in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you, the God who has made the world and everything in it. So now listen to what he proclaims. Yeah, I'm proclaiming this to you. Um, here's what he says, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Um, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Mm. It is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your poets have said, for indeed we are his offspring. So, Paul begins to address this very intellectual crowd, this very um, uh, idolatrous crowd, but are not they're, they're not they're not a group that is um, that's unfamiliar with religion, <laughs> for sure, um, for sure. So, in this, we want to say that there's there's quite a quite a good model mm-hmm. for um, how to. To preach the gospel, how to um, reason uh, with people around what the message of the gospel is and what God's doing in the gospel. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Let's just let's just break this down as we go. Um, the the first thing that we want to see is that that he actually does move to the crowd, that he does open his mouth, that he does share. We, we talk about this every single week, that there's gospel proclamation, but we never want to get past the fact that, that to share the gospel, you got to open your mouth and begin to say words to people. And once again, we see Paul, verse 22, stand up in the midst of all these people and give a bold witness to what God is doing um, through the gospel. Um as Kirk said, like these people want to, they always want to talk about something new, right? It's always, you know, what's in the latest research magazine? What's the, you know, the latest bit of, of, of uh, uh, research in our field that can get us like, that's their attitude. And Paul says, Hey, like, like you can hear something new, right? The end of verse 21. Um, like 
like I'm going to, I'm going to speak life. I'm going to, I'm going to actually begin to, to communicate um, the gospel. And he does so by, by first bringing up this point of conflict, right? He goes, I see that you're, I perceive that you're very religious. As I walked in, I walked past all these altars and I noticed a saying. He says, I noticed a saying, he says, to the unknown God. And Paul says, I'm going to proclaim to you the known, the, the knowable God. Mm-hmm. So, so don't, don't miss that there's a point of, of conflict, really, which he engages upon. It's not he comes in like, you know, punching people in the nose. But he does, he does ruffle the feathers a little bit to say, look, my message is different from your message, right? Um, your worship is to the unknown God. I want to tell you the gospel of God through the person that's that's knowable, right? Well, it, Jesus it, Christ. He explain he makes knowable, he explains to them that which they have been incapable of wrapping their minds around. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like in in light of all of the religiosity that they have, right? Um, Paul says, Allow me to uh, allow me to explain to you, right? Like, like that which you are incapable of self admittedly understanding, right? Um I think that's a neat thing that Paul does. Like he he observes the culture around him. Like he he like we see the idolatry is observable, right? And then he leverages the observations that he's made about their culture, and he makes sense of everything yeah. that 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 they have been able unable to understand. So we want to stop here and say that this provides for us a hugely hugely helpful model for evangelism yes there are so many there the, the room uh, tonight we, we 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 get so frustrated because look i live next to this person i know this lost my neighbor doesn't know christ I'm, I'm in this group with these students that you know they don't know but i don't know how to start a conversation yeah and what we're seeing here and i think this is the model throughout the new testament is that that we always have the opportunity to begin a conversation that can lead to Christ by just what's going on around Super us. Super simple. So I want to read the context, and I just want to begin to to kind of to go there. So think about current events. Think yeah. about things that are happening. Maybe the context of a class that you're in or something like that. Man, the opportunities are everywhere to yeah. do this. So a couple of observations that we have we've been able to make recently um, that might lend itself to understanding this a little more clearly. So um, what was it? I guess not this past Monday, but the Monday before that, we all wake up and we see that like just like chaos has broken out in Las Vegas, right, over the course of the night. And we had a conversation with a friend who was in town from Chicago this weekend about the opportunity that is often um, provided in such horrible and difficult circumstances for gospel engagement and conversation through people simply saying, like, like, what in what the world? Like, what What's do we do? On? What is going on? Like, why is this happening? What is the matter with people? Yes. Like, are you kidding me? Like, the, to the unknown God. Like, we, there is explanation right. for the evil that we see in this world. Absolutely. And not only explanation for the evil, but there is there is a source of hope that we're able to point yeah. towards that people are grasping for in seasons of such turmoil and difficulty, right? Yeah. And so there's one example. Here's another example. Like I've been, I, there's I have a really good friend of uh, of mine that I meet with every Thursday, and he is uh, not a believer, and he knows that he professes that, but he is super artistic, man. And I mean, like I'm talking like wicked talented, right? When it comes to the arts, and he and I have been able to engage in conversation. 
conversation over the past few weeks about like where the creativity that people are able to like display comes from. Like the the scriptures provide us example, right? Case in point of where creativity and love for the arts comes from. Like we worship a God who is most creative, right? And that he spoke creation into existence. Like incredibly creative and gracious and beautiful, right? And the Christian is able to explain that which uh, everyone else is just seeking answer for, wondering where does this come from? How does this happen? Yeah, the the opportunities are endless from, you know, the natural disasters, from politics, from uh, just the craziness of people a desire the, for love and a hatred of evil right like these are things that we all that we can get on board yeah. with and that the gospel provides answer for so that's what paul does he does and yeah jesus does this in john 3 Absolutely. with nicodemus he does it in john 4 with the woman at the well um and this that's what it looks like and we talk about this all the time but that's what it looks like to engage in gospel conversation as opposed to having this like this program right that you feel like you need to walk people through which don't get me wrong is is proven itself mm-hmm. to be beneficial, yeah. right? But what does it look like to every day engage in the synagogue and in the marketplace and on the hillside? Man, it's being able to engage in gospel conversation through the observations that we make. Yeah, because this is big because to kind of go back to the evangelistic systems like, you know, maybe a, a track or, a, a, you know, a, I don't know, some of the more – some of the, the the Romans Road or some some of these, um, uh, what do you call them? I can't even think. My mind's going blank. Presentations. Presentations. Yeah. Um, the uh, sometimes to go back to my example of you're in class with somebody, you're in a group with somebody, you're trying to talk to the person that you know lives in the apartment next to you, right? And you find it hard enough just to begin to like share like who you are and and this sort of thing. Like it would be very very awkward in your mind to start you know, to pull out this like packaged presentation and start to work through it. But what can happen is through these conversations that we're talking about is that we can build bridges to the gospel um, where those things may be helpful, right? That you walk through those passages in the book of Romans that, that show our great need and how God saves us. And But there, there has to be a bridge. And yeah. that's what Jesus does with Nicodemus with the issue of birth. And he does with the woman at the well with the issue of water, right? Yeah. He just takes what is going on. Peter does this in Acts chapter 3 with this miracle of the lame guy and he says look this is that that's 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 the phrase that you want to remember look is that we want to show people that this is really about that yeah but this is about that and that's what we see that's really what we see paul doing here and then he gets into the message now just really quick look at verse 24 um what therefore you worship as unknown this I proclaim to you. Now, notice what he proclaims. Verse 24. Um, if you were taking notes, I would just jot these down. Notice all the things that he says about God, um, about Christ, and, and our response. Verse 24, right? The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Right? Paul initially shows that God is the creator of the world and that he's sovereign. So, so Paul's already issued, introduced the issue that God is a creator, mm-hmm. which really debunks a lot of, uh, 
you know, uh, ways of thinking, right? Uh, especially in the intellectual community, many times that totally reject uh, creationism. That there's there's a God who's created the world. Paul says that, and he says, "Look, this God is sovereign. He does not live in temples made by man, right? He is uh, he's 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 separated from man. Right? Yeah. He's he's sovereign in his being." Verse twenty four. Yeah. Look at verse 25. Nor is he served by human hands uh, as though he needed anything. Again, pointing to the sovereignty of God, that God is not reliant on us, and he's not waiting on man to to act so that, that he can be who he claims himself to be. No, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Mm-hmm. And not only is he created of he, is he the creator of the the cosmos, but he's also the sustainer of human life. Yeah, he's actively engaged Absolutely. in sustaining your person Absolutely. even now, right? There's this there's this idea of common grace that's yeah. unfolded here yeah. before the people. That is true for the lost intellectualist in, in, in Athens, yeah. um, and it's true for those around us as well. Yeah. Um, God is the giver of life. He's the sustainer of life. Look at verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their mm. dwelling place. His providential rule. Yes. He, he initiates nations. He rules the nations. He, he also, places though, the nations. He yes. grows the nations. He moves about, the nations. If we think about our biblical theology here, that he does what? That he pursues the nations. That God not only makes people, but then he goes after these people. He's showing himself to be God and and offering them to be his Mm. people. Verse 27, that they should seek God in the hope that he might fill, uh, that they might fill their way towards him and find him. Here is, oh, this is so beautiful. This God that Paul is proclaiming is knowable. Mm. Which is in in direct contrast with uh, with verse twenty three, right? That these guys are worshiping this 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 unknown God. They're giving themselves to senseless worship, right? At the heart, side note of idolatry is that it's senseless, right? Like it has it has no it, it does not exercise any mental capacity, right? It takes no mental capacity. It's directionless, nothing. There's right? it's just it's nothing. Nothing. It's yeah. nothing. Right, but Paul says, "I proclaim to you Christ, who is who's noble, who can who who you can search for and find." Right, man, what good news that that you might feel your way towards God. Right, you ever think about that when you do evangelism? Like, how can I, with the person I'm trying to reach, how can I provide for them some handles that they can feel and and get and grasp as they are moving towards Christ? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a this is a deep passage. It's, yeah, and we see a lot of we see it combined into this very short period of time here. But a lot of times, man, when you're engaging people, it's 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 week after week after yes. week after yeah. week of conversation. Yeah. It's like, hey, let's grasp this this week. Right. Can we come together around this idea that yeah. the world is broken? Can yeah. we come together around that idea? Is that something you can hold to? Yeah. All right, let's stay there. And like now, next week we move on. We move another. Another place, right? Another peg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that God is noble. Look at verse twenty-eight. He's um, or at the end of verse twenty-seven. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. Um, you know, what's the old hymn? Like, man, just reach out and touch Him. Like, reach out. If you'll reach out, you'll you'll. It, ah, there, this is this is 
we could go so far here, but and seek the Lord because He can be found, right? Um, and then the last thing he, he mentions is is that that hey, look this the sense for belonging, the sense for um, uh, this longing for belonging here is not uh, something that's just in you by happenstance, but man, in Him we live and move and have our being, for we are indeed His offspring. That God, this God, I'm proclaiming to you. He is the father of all humanity, right? That he is the creator, the author, and the sustainer of every person. Um, again, man, combating all the, uh, the, different, the different various ways of thinking that would have been on display there in Athens. Um, we are God's offspring, right? And then he mentions one more thing. <laughs> in our Bible, Kirk and I have the same Bible. We flip the page and we get this last we get this last challenge, right? He says, We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed um, by the art and imagination of man. Right? Which is again like observable around the people. Absolutely. Like you can literally like possibly from the hillside, yeah. like see that which has been created yeah. by the imagination yeah. of men. Yeah. And then he says this, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now, so he's done, ex- he's explained, he's reasoned, he's, he's done a thorough job of talking about all that God is and all that God, do- all that God is doing. And here he's where he, 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 he goes for the response. He, he seeks to draw the net, if you will. He says, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent mm. because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is his ultimate, this is about that moment. Mm-hmm. Is that he says, look, this God that I've explained to you um, demands something from you, and it's your worship. Mm-hmm. It's your repentance. It's your um, forsaking of self. And in righteousness that only comes by one man, by a man, who he appointed, right, and raised from the dead, um, that you can know this God. Um, and the unknown God becomes knowable to you. And there you go. <laughs> so he talks about the judgment of God, right? That God is a beautiful creator, but he is also a righteous judge. And you think about where he begins and ends in verse uh, 22. You know, he stands up, uh, actually, verse 24, um, and talks about the God who made the world. And then he ends with this this other facet nature of the Lord, that if he, in fact, did create the world, then guess what? He can also judge the world. And as that, and he will. And he will. He says he will he, judge the world will. in righteousness. Yeah. Because he made it, he can judge it. Yeah. Um, because he's its author. He gets to call the shots. Yeah. But there's hope, right? Because because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in what? In righteousness by man. This man who has come and lived the life that that you should have lived and died yeah. the death that you should have died. Um, 
and gloriously raised victoriously from the from the grave, that his righteousness can be your righteousness. Yeah, so the Bible tells us, right, that that no one is righteous, right, that no one is righteous, none, no, not one. And so our only hope is the resurrection, right, repentance, and then the, and this is a big word, but this is an important word, the imputed righteousness of Christ, okay, which means what? That Christ gives us his righteousness, right, through repentance and faith so that we might avoid judgment. Uh, The Gospel Coalition wrote a really great article today. We're going through uh, Exodus on Thursday mornings at Starbucks, and um, they point to the, the Exodus account and the blood on the lentils of the doors, right, as not so much protection from uh, from Pharaoh, but protection from God, right? Because God is righteous and he's holy, right? And we have sinned against him and his creation, right? We are worthy of judgment, right? That's what we have, have merited. Um, but... There's hope in the resurrection. There's hope in this God who is knowable now through Christ um, for for other, right? Absolutely. Um, For salvation and rescue and redemption. So there's a great model to see here. We've looked at Paul's eyes, what he sees, his heart, what he feels in light of what he sees, and then him, him move to, to take the gospel to the, the synagogue, the marketplace, and the hillside, um, and to proclaim a, a, a full and, and, and uh, gracious gospel um, about a God who is, who is mm. gracious but also judge. And then in verses 32, 33, and 34, we see, again, once again, the various responses. Mm-hmm. Um, when they heard... Of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, right? They mocked. They made fun of the message. But others said, um, we will hear hear you again about this, right? So there's almost that the conversation continues with some, right? That as Kurt talked about a little bit ago, um, not everybody believes the first time, right? That sometimes we labor conversation after conversation with some. And it seems that, that somehow others are going to hear it here again, Um Verse 33, so Paul went out from their midst, but but some men joined him and believed. Um, among also were, were some ladies. So again, we see some rejecting and mocking, making fun of the message. Some, I don't know, wanting to know more and to talk later. And then some believing. Mm-hmm. And um, that is, that's where we live today um, too. Yeah. Um, I thought about I thought about Romans one. Paul says in Romans one sixteen that the gospel is it's folly. It is complete folly to those um, who are in the darkness of their unbelief. Mm. That being mocked for this message should not come as a surprise, no. <laughs> right? Says, but for those who are believing, man, it's the greatest news in all the world, right? It is the hope of salvation, and that's. That's where that's where this chapter ends, and in some ways, that's where the work of the gospel, in some ways, always ends. Right? That, that, that some are going to believe, that some are going to need some more work, and that some are going to, in the folly of their unbelief, um, flip their nose up and, and run the other way. But but God is good. God's good through it all. 
God is sovereign through it all. And God continues, as we've seen all through this book, to use the witness of his people um, boldly, unashamedly, to continue the, the spread of the gospel, yeah. the building of this church um, all throughout this book. So let's talk about how we respond. What do we do in light of a passage like this um, as we close? I mean, it, it certainly encourages, uh, as we've seen, I guess, throughout the missionary journeys of Paul, a, a gospel engagement yeah. like among yeah. people, right? A desire to see God worshipped and adored, right? Uh, a, a desire for truth to be proclaimed, even as it results in different types of response, right? Um uh, an an, uh, an observation of one's culture, right? A, a desire to exposit the culture, to understand the culture. I think that's something we miss a lot of times as Christians. Like, I think it's important, I think, for us to engage those who live in the community in which we have been planted. We need to be able to exposit the culture, to understand it, so we know who the people are that make it up. We know where they are, so that we can better engage them with the hope of Christ. Christ, you know, I think those are some things that we're encouraged towards today. And so how well do you know this community? You know, how well do you know, um, how well do you know the gospel so that you can engage the community with it? Um, Paul wasn't in Athens very long, but it was, he was certainly able to make some observations that, that lent themselves well to his ministry. What you got, Andrew? I agree with all that. Um, I think we we need a we need eyes and hearts that, that that see and are moved by what we see around us. That <clears throat> a lot of times um, we're to be found celebrating the idolatry of those around us, supporting the idolatry of those around us, or looking at it and 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 just choosing not to say anything ignoring, ignoring the idolatry it. around yeah we fail to recognize it as that yeah. right um, um, in our own hearts to call for our, our, our own repentance but but definitely in the lives of those that we're in class with that we're in fraternities and sororities with for those that you know whatever the case may be um, so we got to have eyes to see but then we've got to be I think I would just add to that that we have to be wise in our evangelism right yeah. like don't don't forget the different ways of communication Communication that we see here in this passage, the different context for that communication, um, but in all the same, man, Paul is is focused on um, the true gospel. That his doctrine is right and it's full. Yeah, um, he goes from from creator to judge. Yeah, um, and everywhere in between. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, you're always start like you start at the same place and you end at the same place, yeah. right? Yeah. And there's a lot of different ways to to like. To, to play it through, yeah. right? I mean, you've got like your your long range, your driver, right? And then you've got like some mid range. You've got your putters, like. Right. And we see Paul utilizing some different clubs in yeah. the bag to to yeah. get to the end. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's pray that the Lord would give us strength and uh, wisdom, courage, and uh, grace to to see and to act. 